Welcome to Hunter and Craft Radio. Up with it, girl. Rock with it, girl. Show them it, girl. Bada bang bang. Bunks with it, girl. Dance with it, girl. Get with it, girl. Hey everyone, Chad McCaffrey here, back with another episode of Hunter and Craft Radio. In this episode, I had the great opportunity to sit down with Amrita Chandra. I've known Amrita for a while. She's now the head of marketing at a company called Crowdriff. Prior to that, she headed up marketing at Audiobooks and a number of other great companies. Lots of awesome wisdom on this episode. We dig into the qualitative side of marketing. So everything outside of you know data and analytics and a lot of the things that people are talking about from that perspective and why design, UX, creative, all of those types of things are so, so important to how we do business today. You guys are going to love this one. Here's Amrita. Amrita, welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So great to have you. Um, So today we're talking about the qualitative side of marketing. Big data analytics. Everybody's talking about it. Um, What what about the qualitative side? So today we're going to talk about that. But before we get there, um, always nice to start a little bit of context for everybody. A little bit of your background, kind of where you're coming from and, you know, where, where you came here today. Sure. Yeah. So I've been working with startups since about 2000, you know, um, I originally started my startup career in Boston. I was living there at the time. I did my MBA there and, you know, during the last internet wave, there was so much activity in Boston and there still is, of course. So I worked in a number of different sort of marketing roles, um, for a few years and then came to Toronto about 10 years ago. And uh, once I got here, same thing, I spent most, I've spent most of my time over the last 10 years with startups. I had a couple of shorter stints working on the agency side just because I wanted to get deeper into digital. But uh, I'm pretty much your standard kind of generalist startup marketer, been leading teams for about the last 10 years or so. Very cool, awesome. So why don't we start with um, this idea of marketing not just being a marketing department anymore. Sure. So you have an entire customer life cycle, customer experience gets talked about a lot. So what, let's talk a bit about that. What does that mean to you and why is that important? Sure. Well, it's something that I've been, it's kind of one of my kind of pet things to talk about because obviously we all know that the world has changed now that consumers have loud voices that they can you know, express their approval or disapproval of the way that companies do business and their interactions with companies. And so I just feel like um, you know, there's been lots of studies to show that people tend to trust people that they know over vendors. And uh, what, what I'm seeing too is that people no longer just look at you know, what did this company share in an email with me. Um, they really care about other things like, you know, how did they respond to me on social media or um, obviously customer support has always been kind of a measure of a company and that still is the case today. But now I think people also care about like, what do you like as a place to work or, you know, how do you treat your people? And so I think marketing is becoming a lot more blurry on the buyer front because Mm -hmm they're influenced by all kinds of things and as marketers it's tricky because we obviously can't control all of that so it's a changing world and i think that it means marketing is going to have to think about what it even means to be a marketing department going forward absolutely yeah it's it's really interesting i know we talked about you know the idea of acquisition you got acquis everyone's focused on acquisition that's kind of i think the data big data side and analytics and i need to know that this isn't being measured and that sort of thing but you know what about retention and what about expansion and these other things right mm-hmm. so 
why like why are people so focused on that why are they not thinking about these qualitative things is there like how do you design your teams i guess maybe around mm-hmm. that uh, a bit better or like, kind of what are your thoughts on those other areas that aren't being looked on as i think as strongly yeah i mean i mean i want to say first like i'm not like i'm also a technical marketer mm. i've had to work in roles where you know we were very data driven so i'm not against data yeah. um, but i feel like a lot of the conversation we're hearing around marketing is really focused on the data side and i totally. think some of that is just natural because we have the ability to measure things so much more specifically than mm-hmm. we were able to do before and also you know obviously you know this kind of um, era of marketers having more technical skills and being growth hackers um, I think that companies like this idea of, I mean, who doesn't like the sound of a growth hack, right? That sounds very exciting. Like you're telling me I can oh, yeah. get to my growth targets Way faster. faster. Like that sounds really great. And I think for early stage companies, mm-hmm. um, it of course makes a ton of sense because I mean, you don't have customers, you need to get customers. And so acquisition of course is going to be top of mind. But I think that acquisition is only one part of the equation because as we know, you know, if you are acquiring customers but they're not sticking around, you're basically, you know, you have a leaky bucket. And so I think as marketers, we need to remember that the sort of post-purchase period is as important, Mm -hmm. if not more important, because those people who are your customers, A, they are going to hopefully buy more from you, and then B, they're also people that will become your advocates or they will leave and switch to something else. And so I think as marketers, and I've heard lots of other marketers talking about this recently, which is great, um, you know, talking about this idea that, you know, you, you have to be thinking a lot about marketing to your customers and not just to your prospects. And that's something I'm really interested in because... I think that um, I like to look at sort of that whole life cycle of marketing and not just looking at the top of the funnel stuff. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's, it brings just so much clarity to me too. And a lot of my experience has been in software as a service and sort of the SaaS environment and this always on sales cycle. And I find it's interesting because we're, you know, even myself hiring a bunch of people across different areas, you kind of have to have the same skill set no matter what area of that life cycle you're in and I would argue that it's kind of a marketing mindset Mm -hmm. Um, in a modern company for us it's you're always selling Mm -hmm. it's always on so it's it's not like just a one-time thing which is obviously the nature of subscription-based sort Mm -hmm. of models but just as you were saying that it brought to mind a lot for me in terms of that specifically so you Mm -hmm. have to think about each area yes you maybe close a a piece of business or start working with an organization it's sort of just the start and then you're Mm -hmm. kind of continuing to market and continuing to add value to that experience and it's kind of the perfect mix if you're doing it well and it's something that we grapple with a lot in 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 post beyonds in the business there but you're you're thinking about okay starting kind of acquiring the thought process and the evaluation period and then for us we're very business to business it's Mm -hmm. a bit different but in the sales process it's kind of the same way you need to be thinking as a micro marketer we term that and you need to be sort of helping people see the value of of making a decision and then once you're just getting started once they actually sign something on and then you're continuing to kind of evolve that through quarters or different things like that so it's yeah very very interesting to look at where people do it well and i know we'll get to some more, you sure, know, yeah, more yeah, examples of this specific. that we see but and I, I think that's part of it right yeah and i think actually sales departments 
do a pretty good job of, I mean, a lot of sales departments are structured so that you have dedicated people to work with your customers mm -hmm. after they become customers. And so I think sales departments have actually gotten this, maybe even before marketing people have, where marketing's job was normally just to fill the top of the funnel and to bring qualified leads in and, you know, hopefully, um, depending on the model, either have those leads convert on their own or through sales support. And I think what's, there's a couple of things that, kind of come to mind for me. One is as a SaaS company, especially if your product has a low price point and the switching cost is pretty low. So, you know, to switch from, so I worked at audiobooks.com, you know, yep. switching from our product to another product, it wasn't really that painful for a customer. Yep. So we had to really make sure that we continued to give them a reason every month to pay us that amount of money because there was no long-term contract. You know, I think companies that have um, maybe more complicated products where, you know, there's a big investment in getting up and running, even if it is still a SaaS product, uh -huh. you know, for them to switch, it's, it's a lot more painful. And so you probably have a bit more leeway there. You can probably get away with not treating them quite as well. But I think there's a real opportunity for marketers to just make sure that um, they're not leaving sort of customer success only up to a, a, an actual customer success team that you may be producing content or programs or you know really useful information that your customers actually would also want mm -hmm. and also they want to be treated differently like i think we all you know i sign up for i'm a customer of a few companies where i get the same old emails yeah. as as before i bought and it's like well some of this is not even not relevant to me so you know, I remember when RDO came out, I was so annoyed because they, they sent me an email about some like promotion that I wasn't even eligible for. And I was like, wait, I'm your customer. Why are you giving somebody else a better deal than me? Like this kind of pissed me off, you know? Yeah. And that's, that goes to show where that can go without it being, yeah. you know, thought about the right way. I think yeah. that's where I know for sure in terms of wherever you are back to the whole kind of across the entire business, not being one department. Mm -hmm. The marketing skill set is a huge thing. You know, digital fluency, that kind of term has been brought up too, because kind of marketing in the new, new world is mm -hmm. a lot of that and being able to touch people throughout this experience they have with your brand. So it's mm -hmm. teaching people how to have those kind of qualitative skills, right? Mm -hmm. That's kind of where culture comes in and that's mm -hmm. where these other pieces of what good marketing is, mm -hmm. I think, come into any area of the business, regardless of what hat yeah. you wear, and that's kind of what people I find struggle with in exactly. certainly large organizations I see. Yeah, and I think, you know, one of the things that I've been doing at, like I was at, when I was at audiobooks.com, one of the things we did was, um, you know, I led a, a brand audit of the company to mm -hmm. really understand, so what are all of the different touch points that customers can have with us, like all the different departments and what ways do our customers or our prospects or even people who've left us, you know, our vendors or suppliers, you know, how do they interact with us and how do we make sure that all of those touch points, even though they're not owned by marketing and certainly they were not led by me, but my job, because we didn't have, like in some companies they have a chief experience officer, but in our company at the time we didn't and lots of companies right now still don't have that. So in our case, it was marketing's job to really inform the other departments of the impact that their activities had yep. on marketing and on sales and to help them really understand how what the brand meant you know what what kind of promise we were making to our customers what kind of experience we wanted to provide and then sort of you know giving them some guidelines around okay so you know if you're finance and you're sending out mm -hmm. invoices what if we actually made our invoices look like this you know like i get invoices from Basecamp, and their invoices 
are really like they're the best invoices I've ever gotten in my email, you know. And in the same way, like you might know, as well send a nice experience. Exactly. On an like invoice, why not make you know? your? I mean, who likes getting invoices? Nobody does. No. I know that like if the four hundred seven, like maybe if they just like made their invoices a little more <laughs> playful or something, maybe it wouldn't hurt yeah. so much when I was paying that bill. But you know, it's really about just making sure that your brand. It's kind of like. You know, if you think of a brand as a, a person, which it's not, of course, mm -hmm. it's, you know, it's a company, it's not like just one person, but, you know, it's sort of like, you don't want to be one way with certain people. And then it's got to humanize the brand. People. Exactly. Yeah. And you just want to be, you want to be real. It's more thoughtful and real. Yeah. yeah for sure. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's a good one. I, I would love to talk about kind of team design a little bit around marketing specifically based on these mm -hmm. challenges, because a lot of people I've talked to, you know, again, going back to my experience, a bit more B2B driven mm -hmm. i know you have that experience as well maybe yeah. we can talk about that but mm -hmm. sort of the way i think about marketing obviously there's those overarching topics you just mentioned where there's definitely content like strategy and how mm -hmm. the communication unifies itself mm -hmm. but then there's if you talk about kind of core brand and demand mm -hmm. right and, and typically those are split sort of in a in a way of qualitative mm -hmm. and then quantitative mm -hmm. but they kind of have to work on, on top of each other Absolutely. not beside each other in silos and so from your experience across many different companies and, and running marketing, how do you think that's changed? Or how do newer companies or people in general need to think about the transition? Because it's kind of tough, right? Like mm -hmm. you need both, but mm -hmm. how do they best work together and mm -hmm. maintain that qualitative need, mm -hmm. but also make sure that there's the data yeah. to back it up? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I think in smaller companies you sort of have it easier like in some of the i worked for you know one startup that i'm thinking about that got acquired and all of a sudden we were we went from being 150 people to 3,000 people and so when you get to that scale you often get lots of silos between departments and you'll have a separate brand function than you will you know a demand function so i think that's a completely different challenge but i think with startups the one really positive thing is that you know your teams by nature are let's say you have a marketing team of 10. It's mm -hmm. really not that hard to get all 10 of them in a room together. And so typically I would just, part of it was just making sure that as a team we met uh, together so that people could understand what the other team members were working on and also you know, where those um, kind of areas overlapped. You know? So for example, you know, we might be running an ad campaign on the radio which we did a lot of at audiobooks. And so, but the people who were writing the creative for the ads were different from the people who were doing the media buying. So obviously they needed to work in sync because you don't, you can't really have one without the other. And in mm -hmm. fact, you know, that was one place where we found sometimes that, you know, what the more quote unquote creative option was underperformed. And so in those cases, if they hadn't had those conversations and seen the data, they I think there would have been a lot more friction. Whereas they would have said, "Well, our brand really means we need to, you know, represent ourselves this way." Yeah. And then the other people would say, "Well, I'm being measured on, you know, how much, you know, new how many new customers I'm signing up, and so that's a problem." And so for us, it was a lot. A lot of it was just real communication. And at that company, it started at the executive level, which was great. You know, we had an amazing CEO. Um, Sanjay Singhal, who's now actually leading up the 500 Startups um, Canada Venture Fund, which is awesome. But he cool. was, he's a great leader and he really brought um, the executive team together. Um, and we really, I don't know, we just really understood where each other was coming from. And at the end of the day, our goal was really to just meet, meet our business goals. And it wasn't about making one department look good or bad. 
Yeah, I love that. I love this topic because it's. I find it's really interesting because there's a lot of really good qualitative talent mm-hmm. out there. And again, in today's world, where it's like, no, like we need direct ROI of this and this, and you know, mm-hmm. obviously that's all important. We're, we're mm-hmm. running businesses here, mm-hmm. and and there's a need there, but there's also very good talent that is on. And to the point, we're obviously going to get some examples around this, yeah. but the creative side of just good quality design thinking. Right, mm-hmm. and we'll get to the marketing UX because mm-hmm. I want to talk about that. But the design thinking and a person that can piece together and really create that nice experience, right? Whether it's a web presence or even just a, a deck that's sent to people to report, and just that it comes across even the invoice, right? Yeah. It comes across in a nice, thoughtful way that is really nice to consume and look at. And mm-hmm. That the feeling that it, it doesn't it to me it, to me I really care about that, and so it, it's it's I find it it's missing in a lot of ways because it's like I'm so driven at driving ad tech you know and retargeting you all day to get you activate or convert on something and you know I think the smart buyer knows that that's kind of what they're after everyone knows that but Mm -hmm. to me I almost make buying decisions based on the qualitative side Mm -hmm. like in many ways Mm -hmm. I I see that this they're taking thoughtful choices and making that experience the way I need it to be You know, and that makes me decide one or the other, especially mm-hmm. in a consumer mm-hmm. play like an audiobooks and Amazon mm-hmm. kind of scenario. So maybe I'd love to talk a bit about that or your thoughts yeah. on that because that's kind of tough and I feel it's hard to – people don't want to pay this qualitative talent as right. much because it's like, right. well, this is like Jack, I'm going to get this right away because sure. they know how to do this growth hacking stuff. Yeah. But this person over here, it's like super important and – I, it's, it's an interesting uh, yeah. piece to that, that same point of the team it stuff. It is, right? you know, and I think – Again, like in more in, in less mature markets and maybe in, in earlier stages of a company, like you're under different constraints. Yeah. So I totally get that need to like literally see the direct short-term return short-term of every long-term. dollar that you're spending. Mm-hmm. And I think um, companies that think about it differently, I mean, it's rare to see companies thinking about brand right from the gate because of the very reason that it is really hard to measure. And anything that's hard to measure it's a hard proposition when you're trying to um, get dollars for it, you know? And also you want some predictability that if I spend this much money, I'm going to get you that. And branding, frankly, like it's, it's not that clear. Um, But in the long term, what I've seen in, you know, I've been in a couple of businesses where the product itself was not so vastly different from another product. And so in those cases, Um, At some point in every market, you get to a point where eventually there's a lot of competitors and there's a lot of commoditization. And so at that stage, how do you make somebody choose you over the other? You know, and I think there's like a million examples that we all know, like, you know, you've got a Mac computer right here. We both have our iPhones like, you know, clearly there's a reason why we're paying, paying a premium for certain products. And that premium doesn't come from growth hacking. That premium comes from having a feeling about the brand and, and you know what that brand choice means for you as a person. And I was just reading the um, you know, Stratechery, like yep. Ben Thompson just wrote yesterday, I think, or two days ago about Tesla and how remarkable it was that all these people are putting this money down for a car that you know doesn't exist yet, really. Um, and he had this one line which I felt like didn't get enough attention, which is like so many of those people bought it because of status. That's it. Like they're not buying it because they, they may not even need a car. They could clearly buy like a different kind of car. But right now, saying that you bought a Tesla says something about who you are as a person. And, yep. you know, that's brand. That's not, you know, that's, that's that fuzzy stuff that, you know, 
it matters. It, it matters, but I, I hear, you know, I mean, I, I don't disagree with, you know, if you're telling me you're, you know, seed funded and you're just trying to, you know, your runway is 12 months or something like, yeah, you, you probably need to find some ways to some accelerate, and get some you know, sales. get some cash in, right? Yeah. But I think at a certain point, um, you know, unless your product, you know, has such a big difference between any other product, like I do think at some point brand is going to come into that equation. And, and I think companies do like, you know, um, you even you look at companies like Shopify, they're yeah. hiring a head of brand. Well, Simple, you know, has a head of brand. And I think that they get that, you know, in their market, FinTech, you know, is the actual product all that different from other products? Mm -hmm. You know, there's some nuances, but at the end of the day, it's not really. So they have to give people a reason to choose them. It's a great, great segue into the marketing is the new UX topic. So obviously this is something that you're passionate about. I mean, what, mm -hmm. why don't just tell people a bit about your thoughts there, kind of what you see in terms of, it's kind of exactly falls on what we were just saying, you know, design thinking, sort of this UX experience, be it product, be it brand, mm -hmm. that is kind of where that's going. So sure. maybe just maybe yeah. elaborate on that. Well, I kind of fell into it because I was hanging around a lot of designers and UX people, and I actually worked for a couple of years at a design firm. Mm -hmm. And what I noticed was just as a marketer, even before I ended up working for this design firm, I was just always really interested in user experience. And I think part of it is just my personality. Like I love research. I love talking to customers. I love thinking about entire experiences. And so even, you know, years ago when I was at an enterprise software company, yep. you know, I was happy and lucky to work for um, a CEO who really cared about Kind of marketing having a say in terms of like he felt that we were best positioned i guess to have a say in what that entire experience was so i've just been paying a lot more attention to it and i noticed that ux people have really great skills that are typically still only applied to the product and i just felt like there's so many lessons of how they approach products that can really apply to marketers and so for me it started with getting better at doing research and so I've been spending a lot more time, you know, learning about qualitative research. You know, I've definitely worked on improving my interview skills. I feel like even from five years ago, I feel like I'm so much better at that. And I've worked with some amazing researchers who have taught me this. And so it starts by that, like having good research skills and really understanding why are customers making the choices that they do mm -hmm. and and finding ways to do that, like outside of traditional market research. So like not surveys, not focus groups. Um, I did some training with um, these super smart guys based in Detroit. They're called um, the Rewired Group, and they um, they sort of are big kind of proponents and actually architects of the Jobs to Be Done framework, which I can talk about a little yeah. bit because it's uh, also close to my heart. But basically, Jobs to Be Done is a way of looking at your products through your customer's eyes. So instead of saying, like, what product do they want to buy, think about what job are they trying to fill by choosing this product? And so, you know, um, I bought this iPhone. Obviously, it's doing a job for me in terms of like giving me certain capabilities, but the job I'm also looking for is, you know, reliability, ease of being able to bring all my historical stuff in because my last phone was an iPhone. And then also like, I love the experience of buying from Apple. Like I'm one of these people that really loves packaging and great retail experiences and you know, great um, either hardware so far, I've have always been really happy with. So it was a way for me to kind of apply some of those insights to marketing. And so I've worked with a ton of companies 
to basically help them interview their customers to really understand like why are they choosing to you know to make a certain decision over a different decision and so again with I mean audiobooks.com is one that comes to mind where we thought that people were leaving us to go to our competitors uh, or to our biggest competitor which is Amazon um, but through some research, we found out that actually, and I don't think we could have asked them, they never said it quite so straightforwardly, right. but basically they were trying to do something with this product that they thought they couldn't do. And it turned out it was more of a UI problem. Like the product did it, but they just couldn't see that the product did it. So we relayed that information to the product team. They changed the UI. They literally added, a, they changed where a button was. And that just literally brought move. like, tens of thousands of dollars, like just that one change brought tens of thousands of dollars, you know, immediately, like within the next two months, we saw that. So, you know, that kind of opened my eyes to sort of thinking about some of these um, experience principles and then coming back to like, um, what are all of these kind of micro, I call them like sort of micro interactions, which is a term that is used in the design world, which is um, like I was on YouTube yesterday and I was clicking on some video and I noticed in the, like, I got some pop-up from YouTube asking me to, like, set up some kind of an account. And I just happened to look at the URL. And in the URL, it said upsell. And I was like, seriously? Like, you know, I mean, I noticed that. Probably, like, 99% of people don't notice yeah. that. But it made me think about everything from, like, what your forms look like to um, the way you're greeted at a reception desk to, um, you know how easy it is to conduct a transaction like all of those things are part of that user's experience and sometimes it's an unconscious reaction to something and other times it's a conscious reaction but i think as marketers there's so much we can learn from our ux colleagues and so i've been thinking a lot about kind of the typical customer life cycle of like you know um research evaluation purchase Mm -hmm. post-purchase consumption you know cancellation and even looking at things like cancellation um, we've all had experiences where like I um, signed up for the New York Times and at one point I wanted to cancel it but only for a certain period of time and I had to phone them during certain business hours and it was so and you know and then they tried to like stop Brutal me experience. from doing it it was terrible and um, even though I knew that like three months from now like when I'm less busy I know I'm gonna want to join again and then you compare that with other products where they make it so easy that it for certain kinds of products where you have that fluidity sometimes you need it sometimes you don't over the lifetime of that customer you're going to get them back you're going to get them to choose you because it's a much better experience and so i think as marketers we can be really short-sighted and so i just love this idea of thinking about all of these things that people care about in the product that they can really apply to the experiences outside the product as well, of which like some of that is marketing. And so as a marketer, I'm really interested in how can I make those experiences for my prospects and my customers um, based on those, so those same principles. So fascinating. I think there's such a challenge for any marketer or even business person that I talk to, as it's certainly in the technology space, be it consumer apps to business enterprise software of marketing product ux engineering Mm -hmm. this whole thing Mm -hmm. it's very interesting 
because you have different technologies, you have different mm-hmm. languages, you have different needs. Yeah. But you're trying to blend them all together in a perfect way, and that's just it's really a beautiful thing when it comes together. To your point, one that one that came to mind was Spotify mm-hmm. when you were mentioning the cancellation and whatnot, because it's it's one you feel like you. I mean, not that I've canceled them. I do. I do really enjoy the service and, mm-hmm. and I've taken to it. But I know from others their viewpoint like it's very easy to stop it if you wanted to if you right. want to pay the 10 yeah. bucks a month like yeah. it's a really good experience it's very strong like design yeah. and it makes you want to come back like it's yeah. just it's it's interchangeable and and just builds that equity really with you yeah. uh, that individual equity in the product and the brand exactly and I'm you a can big, only hold people yeah. hostage for so long like, <laughs> right? absolutely right? and I mean we do that and I know that like on paper again in the short term like it can make your numbers look really good mm-hmm. because you're you're sort of forcing people to stay or you're making it so hard that they're going to wait like with me New York Times like I probably paid for two or three months longer than I really wanted to yeah. you know so that's great they get like a donation from me but you know do I feel great about about, you know um, going back like now I feel like if I were to do that again like okay I have to mm-hmm. like really be committed to being there for a long time because it was just a nuisance to leave them and so mm-hmm. I just feel like um, you know just be nice and I think a lot of smart companies they they're thinking more long term too like I was just listening yesterday to a podcast where they interviewed the VP of marketing at Drift which is this company in yeah. um, Boston that uh was started by David Cancel and their marketer, their marketing VP, she's just super smart and she, you know, she talked about having a real purpose as a team and the commitments that they were making around we're not going to spam our customers and, you know, kind of thinking again about the long game because if she can get like raving fans, then it's going to make it a lot easier for her to, you know, I mean, that's the whole advocacy marketing business, right? Completely. And, you yeah. know, happy customers hopefully will bring more happy customers. Big time. That's definitely what I subscribe to. Yeah. So yeah. let's talk about some examples because I know people are probably wondering like, this all makes sense, you know, what, but that's, I know you have some examples. We could talk about some, some cool companies out there to sure. check out. We can link to them in the, in the show notes and stuff, but what are a few that come to mind for you that just do this really well? Like who's mixed that UX thinking, but also the qualitative aspects. Do you have any, any we could point to or we could get people to check out? Yeah, so I mean, one that comes to mind, and I'm a customer of theirs, is um, Wealth Simple. Yeah. You know, I mean, they're they've got an amazing head of product, Huda Idris, and um, besides the fact that their kind of design is just beautiful, like they've spent a lot of time thinking about how do we make that user's experience just easier and easier and easier, and it mm-hmm. didn't start off that way out out of the gate. Like, um, I actually when I signed up, I think right away I got a text from their CEO. And uh, I was kind of annoyed because I don't really like getting texted by companies. And I didn't remember giving them permission to text me. And I get the whole like, hey, we just want to check in on you. And like, yeah. you know, most of their customers are younger and they probably like texting more, I guess. But um, <laughs> I replied and I was like, hey, I don't really like getting texted. You know what I mean? And um, so there were like little buggy things like that, that they were obviously like working out and they were very like nice about it and took my feedback. And I've been a user tester for, you know, when they built their mobile app. So I just feel like they, you know, they didn't build it all in one day, but I feel like right from the beginning, they've been really um, interested in giving that real great experience to their customers. And so I think they're doing like a really standout job. They're one that comes to me um, for sure. Um, trying to think of other startups that do that really well. Because uh, I sort of look at it as like, who are the startups that are kind of thinking about brand and not just, um, not just uh, 
I could jump in. I got one for sure. Intercom. Intercom's another one, which it's I think, cool. yeah, what I like about them is that um, they, they're they kind of masters in content marketing, and I think everyone talks about putting out useful content, but they really, like, they go that extra mile. And so I think that they have, in a short period of time, kind of established themselves as the authority around product. And even marketing now, like, I think they're putting out a lot of good marketing content, too. So right. I think they've done good a great job. Too. Like, every time, same thing, like, when I, people ask, like, when I ask people, like, what blogs do you read? Like, that one always seems to come up. And, like, you know, that's a pretty sweet thing for a company, you know, to be able to say. Um, I really like... Um, the folks at Brica, which is a local uh, Toronto-based startup, Very they're cool. kind of in the retail business, and they have—I don't know if you've heard of them or not. I have. But, um, yeah, they—they um, they actually have thought a lot about brand from the beginning because they are basically a marketplace for really interesting handcrafted products, Very and cool. so their biggest mm-hmm. competitor is Etsy. Yeah, and. You know, what they offer is a very different experience than Etsy. And I think they have been really great about finding the gaps. And I don't even think it started off planned that way, but I think they realized because, I mean, you know, their company started very organically. Like they met through a blog, actually, the two founders and just kind of started talking and then, you know, built the company. Um, But one of the things that they do really well is they understand that, like, you know, Etsy is big and it's impersonal and it's like, you know, it's kind of like shopping at Walmart. And so they've done a really great job of going in the other direction and kind of taking advantage of their size in that like it's very curated and they really put the people behind the products really front and center. Uh And so they're really going after people who care about who makes their products and want something that's really unique and really special. And every experience I've had with their brand has been just like really well thought out. It's like beautifully designed. It's, you know, they do tons of you know, growth marketing, like their email marketing, you know, masters, and they do tons of social media, and they've, you know, they've started doing some um, offline marketing, they've set up two pop-up shops, so, you know, you don't have to kind of sacrifice the growth aspects of your business by also thinking about brand, and and I really love, like at Audiobooks, we really thought about both as well, and that's kind of my kind of sweet spot in terms of, like, companies I love to work at are companies where I feel like they think about both. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, for me. I I have a keen interest in like menswear and okay, yeah, like retail for yeah. a reason. I just have always been drawn to that and that world and the experience offline and online. I think that's what's interesting for those type of in this whole discussion around brand and, mm-hmm. and otherwise. You definitely need the quantitative stuff, and once they're like that's going to drive a lot, especially in the new world here. Right. But on the on the experience you have in the store, mm-hmm. are you you know you go to meet with people I big fan of Club Monaco just always have been in terms of the you know minimalist style they have and mm-hmm. fit and that kind of thing mm-hmm. but that all just kind of to me just sticks you know when it comes to brand there's certain things there's certain aspects which really I would argue is kind of the UX thinking right around yeah. what is really going to make people um, fit that demographic I think it's knowing your market really well too right if you know yeah, your if you exactly. do know your segment and you're zeroed in on that segment in a tight way you're going to be able to produce a even better experience for that segment exactly. so well simple is a good example where I really like what those guys are doing too I think it's a phenomenal idea because there's a b- major barrier to entry mm-hmm. to investing in general but 
the design, everything that the way they've thought that out. I think it's mm-hmm. been cool to see that evolve, being another local Toronto yeah. um, company, and, and what, they, good yeah, what they've done a really good job of is saying like, you know, this is the kind of customer that we want to go after, and it uh-huh. doesn't mean that like I actually don't fit into their demographic. I'm a little on the older side, mm-hmm. so but they don't make me feel like I don't belong. Like yeah. I'm not getting, you know, like maybe some of the photos I. It's not even that I don't relate to them, but, like, I'm not backpacking right now or whatever. Mm. Like, you know, like, I'm in a different life stage, but, like, I never feel sort of like I'm not a part of that. But they also are super clear about this is our sweet spot. It's people who are not actually investing in anything. So it's people who have just money sitting in a savings account. And when you look at some of the other kind of similar products that the banks are coming out with, it is like... You know, I bank at, you know, certain institutions, but I don't actually want them to have this part of my business because the whole experience of dealing with a bank is not the same. It's like totally not the same. It'd be interesting to see where that goes to. That's a whole other podcast. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But then the other two, if we have time, like there's two other examples that I like to talk about a lot, which are actually a little bit more offline examples, but they're not actually tech companies. Um, One is um, Porter Airlines. Yeah. Which, um, you know, what I find interesting about them is they spend so much effort to um, kind of position themselves as, you know, kind of a business class airline. And my husband had this crazy experience with them, like crazy good. And, and again, I think about, you know, great brands as being memorable. And so anyway, he was traveling to Ottawa. He happened to have his passport with him as his ID. Uh-huh. And he got off the plane, went to do his presentation, got back to his hotel room, got a voicemail from Porter saying... Hey, Bill, um, you left your passport on the plane. The plane's now in Halifax. We've looked up in the system. We see that you're going to be taking another flight tomorrow in Ottawa. We're going to put the passport on a plane from Halifax to Ottawa, and we'll have somebody, like, deliver it to the person on your plane. And he said all of this happened before he even realized he'd lost his passport. And basically, they made this painless for him. He literally got on the flight the next day, and somebody was like, Mr. Gurney, here's your, here's your passport. Wow. And so to me, that's like marketing, you know, you can tell me in an email that you're great, but do something like that. And, you know, I'll, I mean, he flies Porter. He pretty much will only fly Excuse Porter me. now. Like he goes out of his way to fly Porter. Game changer. Um, so that's one example I like to talk about. And then the other, which um, is kind of a, a weird example, but um, it's also something that I'm really passionate about is there's this amazing luxury hotel okay. on this island off the coast of Newfoundland. Right. It's in a really remote place. It's a place that like nobody's ever heard of and most people would never even think of going there. But this woman who is from there, she uh, ended up you know working her way through um, the sort of finance corporate ladder, made like, I don't know, 70, 80 million dollars, decided to build this like crazy luxury hotel on this island that has oh. paid so much attention to architecture and you know still being a part of the community and uh, it's called the Fogo Island Inn and they've gotten so much publicity without really trying because the experience that they've created is so exceptional and a little taste of it that I got because I went and stayed there a couple of years ago um, you have to take a ferry to get there uh-huh. and I got there and like you know outport Newfoundland there's a lot of really like tiny communities and so this community like was not really a community it was a parking lot with a little chip van and I was starving and I wasn't going to get to the hotel for hours and I thought oh I wish I'd known that you know couldn't get anything to eat here other than french fries and then this man comes over and like you know comes up to our car and he's like hey are you staying at the Fogo Island Inn we said yes and he's like oh I'm I'm Justin, I'm from the inn, I'm here with my van, I've got a cooler full of like 
cold water and fruits and granola bars if you'd like anything. And I was just like, wow, like they really thought about this. Like technically my experience with them doesn't start until I get to their hotel. Mm -hmm. But they kind of went above and beyond to make me feel like I was a welcome guest, like, you know, even before I stepped foot in the hotel. So again, that's, uh, you know, they charge a premium for that. They're super expensive, but they, you know, they get people flying from all over the world to go stay there. Well, and it's those experiences. I mean, to sum it up, right? It's those experiences that are the marketing mm-hmm. that you're telling everyone right now. Yeah. All of our listeners, you're telling other people probably all the time about that because it's something that sticks in your memory. Exactly. And it's gonna probably already has endlessly driven new people to them. My husband and I, we we just have decided not to have devices in the bedroom, so it's kind of nice. I don't wake one. up and like look at my phone right away, right away yeah. which has made a big difference. And so it's just nice to like just have some space where you're not looking at a screen. Um, and of course, like I'm a big social media person. So when I do start my day, you know, I check my email, but I also check Twitter and Facebook. I feel like they're my news sources and I just am genuinely interested in what my friends are up to. And then on Twitter, like, you know, lots of like, that's where the news hits first. So I always go there first. So that's, that's kind of like the beginning of my day and my days, you know, they, like most people, they change so much. Mm -hmm. So I do, um, try to kind of have a running kind of to-do list of what I want to get done. But then, you know, I kind of have... Um, I can sort of feel like every day there's certain times when you just feel like you're in the zone and so I try to like do the things I hate the most because I know that I'm never going to want to do them so I do those yucky things get them out of the way the more tedious stuff and then yeah and then sometimes depending on what I'm doing like if I'm writing you know I can sometimes give myself the space to write um, but I have to have like no distractions I have to like shut down email do everything because I find with writing um you can't just kind of switch it on. You kind of have to get your head in the right space. And so sometimes I'll do my writing at night if I just, or, or I'll do it on a Saturday or just like someday when I'm not feeling like, you know, I've got a million other distractions. Yeah. Yeah. Those are, I definitely can attest to those. Um, yeah. So I guess just last couple quickly would be any resources, any kind of books, what stuff you like, we can link to people to, to check out. Sure. So, actually, I just discovered this podcast yesterday, and I've become a raving fan already. (laughs) It's called Unthinkable, and it's by um, a guy, I'll send you the link, his name is Jay, and I'm forgetting his last name, but basically the podcast is for creative content people, so Mm -hmm. it's focused on um, people who are in kind who are creative people and just kind of telling stories of things that you can do both at work and outside of work to just really kind of like keep that part of you alive Uh because I think some work environments don't really allow that to foster so for me I'm definitely a super creative person and so it resonated with me right away because I think that's a struggle sometimes like you know when you work in business like there's not always that opportunity to be as creative as you'd like and so you know he focuses a lot on you know doing side projects, doing passion projects, which is something that I'm, you know, I usually have something on the go that kind of allows me to just do it without worrying about it making money or being a marketing thing and just allows me to have fun. Um, so that's something that I'm listening to. Um, I just started reading a book by Donna Lee Chow, who is a uh, product designer and or kind of an experienced designer. And she just came out with one called um, Story Mapping Your Products. And she said it's really good for marketers as well. And basically she studied film. So she's kind of applying like structures to filmmaking to building products and designing marketing experiences. So I'm just at the beginning of that one, but I think that one's going to be a good read. 
Um, and then kind of my Bible, which I go back to a lot, is um, it's a really old book. It's like 20 years old, and it's called Creating Customer Evangelists. And it's basically what it sounds like. And it's interesting because it was written kind of pre-dot-com. And so, actually, maybe not dot-com. It was written like pre, you know, more than, five, more than 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. And what I like about it is that so many of her examples still really resonate you know like one that i love of hers is you know she talks a lot about giving your customers kind of a bite-sized chunk of your experience before they have to kind of commit to the whole thing and she talks a lot about the dallas mavericks and what mark cuban has done with them i don't know if you're a basketball fan i'm a big basketball fan yeah and um you know she was saying that like maybe this is pretty common now but at the time it wasn't that like he ended up like starting this thing where he would sell tickets in sort of 10 packs to allow people to get a taste of the season ticket experience without sort of forcing them to do it right away. And that the upsell from that has been huge. Like they convert over half of those people, Um, you know, things like he made sure that the locker rooms, both for the home team and also the visiting team were just super nice and had like all the kind of amenities because he said, you know, one day someone from the opposing team might be somebody that I want to hire. And so he just wanted to leave everybody with that great experience. And so he's a real, I mean, he's a great businessman, obviously, but I just thought like, some of the it's examples cool. she gives in that book are just so smart and you know they seem kind of obvious when you read them but you realize how we miss those opportunities to do that you know and it's just sure. a nice way to kind of get your your mind going and brainstorm some ways to bring it into your own company nice one. yeah i guess to finish things up you know where does uh where does everyone keep up with you online Probably the best place to keep up with me is on Twitter. So my Twitter handle is just my first and last name, Amrita Chandra, which will probably be easier to find on the website. It's a bit of a mouthful. (laughs) We will definitely Um, do it. So yeah, so that's probably the best place. I'm I'm on Twitter all the time. Awesome. This has been a blast. And thanks thanks again for coming in. Yeah, I love your podcast. Thank you.